Welcome to the McCovey Croncast. It is Friday, December 18th. It's Star Wars release day. I'm Brian Murphy. I'm Doug Brazzoni. And we are here to talk about the news of the San Francisco Giants. And the biggest news this week was that uh, they went ahead and they they went ahead and signed a free agent pitcher we never thought they'd sign. And we're kind of wary of anyone signing for a long-term contract. Johnny Cueto, welcome to the San Francisco Giants. Yay! <laughs> so the Giants sign a, an ace. They sign an actual, actual ace uh, to join the rotation. And I, I'm very happy. I'm surprised that this happened. You, Doug? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm thrilled. I wrote about Ian Kennedy last week and that, you know, one of the things that, one of the points I made was he's just so boring. I just want the Giants to do something interesting. And then they did. He is uh, very exciting from, in all the ways you could think of a baseball player to be exciting. His stuff is great. Uh, He's got that kind of like not junk baller mentality, but just, you know, he's fun to watch on the mound. Uh, He looks cool. He's got a great Instagram account, and he seems to have a sense of humor. All these things are, to me, very important for a professional athlete to have. And he's got the goods to back it up. I feel like all the pre- all the criticism for what happened after he joined the Royals is very short-sighted. And it seems like that the fact that half of a season could scuttle what has, had been a pretty strong track record up until then. Never mind that he had great starts in the postseason. Uh, it just seems very strange that that that's carrying over instead of people saying like, well, there was this, but if the giants are getting what he's been, it's going to be a great signing, which that's kind of there. But the sentiment has been, he didn't help out the American league team as much anyway. (laughs) Um, No. Yeah. But if you look at his track record of just what he did all of last year, he had a really good year. Yeah. He's got, he's gobbled with Kansas city, but he was so good with the reds that it doesn't really matter. No, Um, he pitched very well at, at the citizen, what is the name of the park? Blanking on the name, Great, oh, Great American, American Ball, Ball Ballpark, which you know there's not great baseball ever played there, and he was able to uh, stem the tide and 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 be a really really strong pitcher. Uh, w- the thing I tend to think with the the Royals is it seems like the national. Here's my stupid opinion of the week, one of many. Uh, that is the national media is very American League slanted. And so things stand out a lot more when it happens to or happens with the American League. If he had gone from from the Royals to the Cubs or something and had put up the exact same performance, then the exact same thing, people would have said, oh, this is great. The signing's great. If he had then still signed with the Giants, they would have said he's in an even pitcher-friendlier park, and, you know, that half-season thing. It just seems like when it's the American League, that's when people care. Like, the Giants do play baseball a certain way. The Royals play it the exact same way. And it's only when the Royals do it that people notice it. <laughs> uh, you know, other teams spend a lot of money, but it tends to be, you know, the Dodgers are getting compared to the American League, to the to the Yankees and the Red Sox. Yes, those are traditionally uh, expensive, you know, teams that spend a lot of money. But the Giants and the Dodgers and the Cubs they've and the Cardinals, they've all spent pretty well, uh, just not crazy levels. So something about the American League being the right model to follow, and that that to me is the last vestiges of the East Coast bias or the national media bias that that old man Murphy just can't let go. I see it everywhere. 
Just shaking your fist at AL bias. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Um, But I mean, just looking at, and then you look at the deal and it has two opt-outs in it. um, Or it has an opt-out in it. Excuse me. I'm thinking of the Jason Hayward deal. Uh, It has an opt-out in it. And so to me, ultimately, this is just a two-year contract. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's um, great. That's the way you. That's I love it. Yeah, that's the way you have to look at it because he's gonna, assuming he does well in either those two years or just the second year, like he could have a bad year this year, and then even if he's or you know a bad year in 2016, and then if he's really good or just good in 2017, he'll still opt out. Yeah. If he's bad, so, I think if he's bad this year, or if he's great in 2016 and bad in 2017. Depending on how bad he is, I still think he opts out. Yeah, there's still a good chance that he does. Absolutely. Uh, because he'll be 32 years old and he has a chance to sign. You know, the Giants hold an option to make this a seven-year deal. But he could essentially sign another six-year deal and get an eight-year contract. Uh, you know, and, and then it's eight years, essentially, of free agency. So I, I feel like this is this is the having your cake and eating it, too. The Giants had had the money the payroll flexibility and I feel like they used it very well 23 million dollars for these next you know 46 total for the next two seasons uh it's and he's just what they need really it is you look at Bumgarner and Cueto at the top and you feel I feel great I uh, and this that's also a weird thing to feel <laughs> the, the, Gi- the Giants made bold moves in free agency and I think the last time I felt this great about them heading into a season based on their off season was 2002 going into 2003, which is they went under games in 2003, but they, you know, they lost the world series and then they weren't just complacent. They, you know, and I love the, you know, back then I loved the Ray Durham sign signing the most and, you know, the giants needed pitching and they addressed it. They spent two for the price of one. We've, if you've been reading the site at all, you've seen all this analysis. But you know they basically get Granky and Samarja for the price, or damn it, they get uh, <laughs> Cueto and Samarja for the price of Granky. Uh, so it's, it's a bold move, but it, it's a smart bold. It's not reckless. It's different from what you might think of as Brian Sabian uh, being involved in a front office move. But it it, it works. It's, on paper, it works. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, these things, it, it can fall apart next year. These things do fall apart the next year sometimes. Just look at, I don't know, the White Sox this year. Not not to mention even the Padres, but um, going out and signing great player, you know, really good player, guys who were really good the year before, it doesn't always work. However, if you if you have to do it, and the Giants did because they their rotation was a mess, then they did a, the best job they could have. And you have to be as a Giants fan really happy with the way the offseason shaped up. We you panic. We panicked a little bit earlier in the offseason, thinking they're gonna sign anyone, everyone's gonna get away. Right or Jordan Zimmerman didn't want to come here. Zach Granke didn't come here. Were they gonna get anybody? And they did. And there's exactly what they needed to do. And on paper, they look good. And they they did the they did it. Uh, the typical Giants mo. Someone rec- you know, good as recently as two years ago, but they did. They spent a lot of money to get those guys for once, which the, ordinarily that works out where they don't have to spend as much. But that's you know, if you apply that philosophy to the moves, 
you know, they, and obviously from a health standpoint with Cueto in particular, you know, he passed the physical, they announced uh, yesterday that, you know, the signing had the press conference and he has had arm troubles. And so you have to think that that's a concern, but if they're clearing him medically, they have to feel the concern is no greater than if they had signed any of these other free agent pitchers. Yeah. I mean, you, you would have to think that any pitcher would have at least a wart on his, on his medicals. I maybe not cranky because he's like a robot, but I'm sure that there is something in Jordan Zimmerman's. I'm sure there was probably something in David Price's that, you know, you look at and go, that's probably going to be fine. You know, you look at, the scans, you look at the history, there's going to be something there that if something goes wrong in four years, you'll look at in hindsight and say, oh, we should have known. Sure. And if nothing goes wrong, then you'll say, well, that was nothing. We knew that all along. But by then he'll and, be like the Mariners or the Diamondbacks problem. So yeah, exactly. So that's not our problem. <laughs> he did survive pitching for Dusty Baker too. And I believe he was one of Dusty Baker's last egregious pitcher abuse things. I believe he was a, a young pitcher. Yeah, his first full season, he threw 174 innings. So, And I, I seem to recall something about him. Uh, I thought he pitched in relief, but I think it was maybe he came back from a rain delay or he threw a, a, way more than 110 pitches or something to try to get a 10th win. I seem to recall something very silly involved in his background and Dusty Baker being right at the point of it. And that was, that was when I think he was called sometimes uh, JP Cueto instead of Johnny Cueto. So, so in the comments, you can leave that behind and find it. Obviously I'm exposing myself for not doing quite enough research, but I remember very clearly. So he might've been one of Dusty Baker's last really pitcher abuse situations. Um, but he, I'm excited and he's got Sal Castaneda's uh, stamp of approval which if you're not from the Bay Area, he's a he's a local uh, reporter and, and essentially now dignitary um, and a legend. Legend. He is a legend. And what was the deal that he had first before before everybody else? Oh, uh, I don't remember. I remember Dennis O'Donnell had the Hunter Pence deal. Dennis O'Donnell did have the Hunter Pence deal. Okay. Uh, but Sal yesterday. <laughs> so I don't know if you saw this. But, uh, maybe. <laughs> but I feel like Sal Castaneda also had something or he had he had information that we didn't quite know um, or the background on something. Again, you can leave that in the comments. But in any case, a Bay Area legend, dignitary who has uh, already met with Johnny Cueto. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if. Not Sal Castaneda himself. It's funny to think that he has that much pool in the town, right? <laughs> so, but right. It, it seems to me what makes more sense is he's representative of, let's say, the top of the of the market in San Francisco. You know, maybe the top one percent or a certain mentality uh, of like the the wealthy baseball fans who live in San Francisco. Maybe to me, it seems like he represents. He he's friends with lots of them. And so he's privy to these things. And I, if Cueto is like a stamp of approval, I'm working backwards here. This is my conspiracy brain. It's not a conspiracy, <laughs> but it's essentially Cueto was just sitting out there on the market. And I think that the people who really uh, have the ear of the Giants ownership or whatever, every the the comment, the party line was the front brass or the Giants baseball men saw Cueto as being the guy. 
Well, we know they saw Granky as the guy too. So why Cueto still? I feel like the the team and probably the wealthy baseball fans are like, we've got to get, we have to get an ace this year. And and maybe they thought it was Cueto all along because of Granky was just they knew he was going to cost too much. But I always feel like Castaneda has the he gave him the stamp of the appeal because that's the guy that a lot of people already wanted anyway. Um, it's it's the same. It, there's a side of Giants fandom that I don't have access to a lot of the time. It's the it's the side of the fandom where I really feel like there were people who were genuinely, genuinely, not ironically. Of the belief that Barry Zito was going to save the Giants season. So, (laughs) and I believe this vein of fan goes all the way back up to the top. So that's, that's where I come from with this. You have heard all of my crazy skull, my crazy, my crazy scold out theories today. There you go. (laughs) Um, yeah, I wouldn't go that far because I'm sane, but uh it's it's entirely possible that there are a lot of people who you know a lot of the people who have money who the giants are trying to court for luxury boxes and tv deals and they wanted to be able to point to someone and say we got an ace and cueto was still available and the price on him was right unlike granky unlike price and that's that was maybe part of the calculus in it and so it wasn't entirely baseball decision I also could just be totally wrong because I don't know anything about we, anything. I don't know anything either, but it's <laughs> it's fun to speculate in these these cold off season days. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he's he's uh, he's essentially he's a much different kind of look than the Giants have uh, on staff right now. Uh, I mean, he's going to beat you with stuff. He's going to beat you with. Uh, you know his sharper pitches. Um, he's got a great fastball for one, and he's got a he's got a great slider too. But it's it's a different look from PV, who is very much spot the ball and beat you with sequencing. He's he's kind of in that Vogel song grinder mold now, where he just won't give in. Uh, and he's he's kind of like a smart pitcher. Matt Cain, we don't know what the Giants have with Matt Cain uh, and Samarja. You know, Cueto is essentially. Uh, what Samarja, I feel like that's Samarja's ceiling. And, and so having those two guys, if you can get them, if they can perform as, at effectively the same level, I, I am so terrified of being this confident in the Giants rotation, <laughs> of any part of the Giants going into the season, that, that it's just, but it's scary to think about and you can't help but do it just because it's such a strong move. So um, uh, another crazy theory of mine that it's just crazy to be that optimistic. <laughs> no, it, it always feels like it's crazy to be that optimistic. There should always be some doubt in there. If not, it's your fault when they lose. Right. That's how that works. That's right. The Giants are high are are strong favorites to win the World Series. It's off-season betting. It's always kind of silly. I feel like anyone buying into the well, we can get into this later. I feel like buying into uh the off the even year thing, buying into it at all. I feel like it should only be used as a punchline. So, you know, anyone buying into it at all, it, it's just so silly. And obviously the offseason betting, there's so many things that can go wrong. Joe Panic might never play baseball again. We don't know. His back could just be gone. And, you know, where where is the regression to the mean uh, negatively going to come from, if any? Who's going to have surges? What injuries are going to happen? We don't know. We saw Bumgarner tire down at the end of the year last year, even as 
even his manager admitted that. Um, you know, is he going to be as effective when it's not the playoffs? So, so who knows? Who knows? And there's still the question of left field. Doug, I have committed several hours of consideration to this, and I don't know what the Giants are going to do about left field. Well, uh, I've now put several seconds of consideration into it today, and I don't know either. I I feel like this conversation is one that we've had for several years. <laughs> Since it, uh, 2008? <laughs> well, the, the one year we didn't have it was 2012, because they got milky. Sure. Sure. So we knew what they were going to do. We might not have thought it was especially good, but we knew. And then it turned out to be great. And then he made a fake website. Well, everything worked out. It turns out Gregor Blanco in short spurts is great. So, exactly. Which, again, that's great. I think I don't see how the Giants trade Pagan. But, you know, even if they don't, you've got Blanco. If you can get a good left fielder then I feel like, you know, they're just going to ride that out again. I believe I saw a couple of comments here and there that maybe the Giants were looking to bolster uh, center field. And yesterday I saw a report that the Giants might be looking into or talking to Denard Span, which I would not like because <clears throat> you're hoping that the 70 games he plays are the 70 games where Pagan is not available. And I feel <laughs> like that's going to be tricky to time out just right. Um, I, I understand that. I think that Denard Span is a, is a pretty good player and they're, they're just trying to find value there since they don't really have the money, but he's played other than last year when he played half the season, he had, he, he had three straight seasons of, that were based, that were mostly full seasons. Um, and so I'm not that, you know, if the medical stuff all checks out, I'm not that worried. Well, I am because injuries tend to come back, but he's he's not that bad of a bet, really. He's been, other than last year, he's been at least a league average player and usually three or four wins every year since he came into the league. So he's a good player. If you can get him for cheap, which is, I'm sure, what the Giants would do since they don't have the money. You know, if they had 12 or 13 million to spend, they'd probably be looking at Alex Gordon instead. Well, so, I believe he is a Scott Boris client, so I don't think that cheap is going to really factor in, in into the conversation. Um, I'm checking that right now. That's what you can hear me. Uh, yes, he just switched in this off season, <laughs> so uh, so I don't see that cheap. Uh, he's going yeah. to be available for workouts in the new, in the new year after the new year. That'd be cool if there was like a, a tryout day or a showcase day. And, you know, in, in one corridor, well, one side of the hall is Tim Lincecum. <laughs> You've got Denard Span. You could it'd just be like uh, watching, it'd be like repurposed garbage. So <laughs> just seeing like <laughs> what people did with it. But I, I just feel that, you know, Denard Span, Pagan's making $10 million. Denard Span, that's the starting point. That's the starting price. So uh, and I don't I don't see any trades with the Rockies happening for Dickerson or or certainly not Carlos Gonzalez and not Charlie Blackman. Uh, and again, Charlie Blackman as a leadoff hitter, I'm not really uh, a fan of for the most part. And so I wouldn't know who the Giants could put, who the Giants would hit leadoff. You still want a, you want a high on base guy as much as you can. Angel Pagan is certainly not that guy. But outside of the seventh spot, 
I don't see another place for him. And I am a little bit more traditional in terms of roles and lineups. But ultimately, I'm like, just put the best on base guys up top and bunch them together as much as possible. And Pagan's certainly not that. But when he's good, he, he's kind of like a, a nice leadoff type hitter. Uh, so like, <clears throat> so I've got nothing unless you're putting Pag- or Blanco up there. Um, it it just seems like that's been the tricky part with center with center field. I am losing my voice. I think my body doesn't want me to say this next part. What <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I think that's been the part the problem that the Giants have had is they're trying to solve two problems with one position, and that's where it gets really tricky. Span would be a great leadoff hitter and center fielder. Um, uh, but is he gonna? Is the price gonna be right? So these that's this is more familiar Giants off season. This is the stuff I'm used to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Getting quite up, right? Will they end up with right? Because really, what you what it makes the most sense. I feel like at this point, and this can this is another crazy thought, but it, what makes the most sense is unless some sort of strong deal falls into your lap, the Giants should probably be done with any of the a the top tier free agents and they should be looking for minor league invites, maybe some trades for some bench guys, maybe someone injured or making a, a comeback, something like that, <coughs> something like that. If they're trying to do a deal, but in terms of the outfield between the mess of Parker and Williamson and I don't know, even converting someone to an outfielder or trying someone out in the outfield, I just don't think the money is going to be there to get much of an impact. Yeah, it doesn't look like <coughs> it, um, which is going to be tough, but it's also just how it is. You know, you spend you spend so big on on free agent pitchers, which they needed to do, and there's just going to be a hole left. I'll say that it is probably better for them to spend the money on pitching because the only guy they have, the only starting pitcher they have who's really close to the majors at all is Clayton Blackburn in the minors. And they have, you know, Parker and Williamson in as as outfielders, they even have guys like Ryan Lawless kicking around, who could you know be at least a bench bat, who could provide some value. If Gregor Blanco has to start somewhere. They have you know they signed Kyle Blanks to a deal if he's healthy, which he won't be. Right. But if he's healthy, I don't even know why I wouldn't finish that sentence. <laughs> uh, and Marlon Bird's still out there, so. <laughs> Marlon Bird's still out there. Maybe they'll sign him to a seven million dollar contract with two million in incentives. So, that would be very giant. <laughs> so there's so there are options. I mean, I would love Justin Upton. He wouldn't love that, but I would love Justin Upton in left field for the Giants. And I feel like he would cost somewhere close to what Cueto's getting. Um which to me strikes me as for the value he would give you would work out. But he'd probably want a seven year deal. So uh I just don't yeah, there just doesn't seem to be that obvious fit. I feel like with Cueto and Samarja, it was like, eh, they're going to cost a lot of money. Are they going to really be worth it? But the Giants really did just pay market rate for free agent pitchers of their caliber, which you and I can, or we can reminisce and cry about it in the comments, but that's the market rate for free agents now. And I feel like it's it took me a very long time to get on board with that, but um, I think everyone's most people are starting to understand that that's the case, especially when you have projections of a, of a win above replacement costing like $7 million a year and the qualifying offer is going up every year and it's $15.8 million now. Um, 
you know, I just to give that helps give perspective on what the market really is. And, you know, Samarja is a three win pitcher probably at, at his best. And, you know, that's, that's essentially $21 million. And I think it all works out. I'm going to start, stop rambling now and lead into how this, uh, this AAV game, you uh, are losing, but you might be making a spirited comeback. Doug, uh, this, if you haven't been listening to the podcast a couple weeks ago, we played a, one of our games, uh, AAV and we guessed on the free agents, what their average annual value for their salaries, their free agent salaries would be. And obviously we're not going to know the results all at once, but we've known, uh, I was right on Granky. I was right on Cueto. No, you're sorry. On I was Samarja. wrong on Samarja and, and you were right on Cueto. So, yeah, so who are the two who are left? I don't remember. <laughs> I, I think I think Upton's one of them. Upton is one of them, yes. Uh, and I can't, I really can't remember <laughs> who the last person was. I wrote it down somewhere and I lost it. So, uh, right, yes, yes. But um, yeah, I, I, man, who who could it have possibly been? I can't even think of who's still out there. Um, yeah, I don't. <laughs> Cespedes. Oh, probably yeah. Cespedes. So uh, I always discount Cespedes because I only just think about him 290 on base percentage. That's really, <laughs> whenever I think of him, that's that's the first thing that follows. So, uh, so Cespedes and Upton, we are waiting to hear back. And so Doug was down 2-0, and now with this Cueto news, he I th- you might be pulling a, a 2012 here. I might be the Reds. <laughs> it's, it's possible because you took all the high deals, and those came in early. Yeah. And I, I took basically the under, and if it's taken this long, then the under's looking pretty good. That's true. Very true. And, of course, the outcome of this, again, if you didn't know, the uh, winner gets to write about the loser a, an article to be posted on the front page of the McCovey Chronicles website, uh, which will probably be circulated by SB Nation. Um, who knows? About the worst takes of the, that the loser has ever had. And, of course... Uh, Doug could you could write that for a month and you still wouldn't even crack the surface of mine. So uh, <laughs> really, if you win, you lose. That's what I'm getting. <laughs> right. Well, uh, I, the the real victory is then not having to come up with another idea for an article. <laughs> yes, we could talk about that for a long time. It is extremely <laughs> difficult to churn out comment or uh, content for the site. Uh, it's pretty quick. It's pretty easy to get to all the takes pretty fast. Yeah, this was a good deal for the Giants. Uh, so we're going to answer some Twitter questions now, which we got a lot of Twitter questions this week, which is great. Uh, we're only going to answer one or two from a person, though. <laughs> so if you send us multiple questions, I or Doug are just going to pick uh, the ones that we like the most. I feel like that makes the most sense because otherwise it's never going to end. So, <laughs> uh, also we just want to give people a chance. We'll never stop talking. So, uh, so the first question that I have uh, is from, uh, sorry, uh, from Matthew Gibbs at Matthew underscore SFG, and he asks us, "Would love to hear your Dodger predictions for the rest of the off season." <laughs> oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, huge overpay for Meta. Is that is that what we're thinking? Sure. They're well. They're going to they're going to have to sign right. They'll have to pay twenty million dollars just for the right to talk to him. And what other teams are going to pay that as well? Which I would guess maybe like the Cubs, uh, maybe the Red Sox. I don't know. 
Um, yeah, and then they'll have to overpay. Uh, if you didn't hear the news yesterday, Hisashi Iwakuma's deal is being reworked because he essentially did not pass the Dodgers physical. I would say that I would say, you know what? He got like a C or a C plus on the physical. And so now they don't want to pay him for an A. Uh, so that might free up some money for them. I feel like they're going to uh, somehow take on another bad contract so that they can get another prospect. And to me, it kind of feels like they're amassing prospects so that they can make a deal for Fernandez, for Jose Fernandez, maybe. Um, yeah, no, it's possible. I would say that the the thing I wonder about is if amassing prospects is just what Andrew Friedman knows to do from his time <laughs> with Tampa. And so he doesn't necessarily have an end game in mind. He's like, well, step one, collect prospects. Step two question mark step three profit <laughs> so he's he's all foreplay he's just all build up um, exactly <laughs> and eventually either some of them will pay off or he'll trade them and he'll get something good but he, he just likes to have a lot of prospects he's the purity ring of gms Every, <laughs> everything but <laughs> i also exactly. feel very strange getting too deep into schadenfreude with the dodgers because that definitely feels like a team that could just turn around and burn you for a minute. You know, in, in an instant. They can look like the Beverly Hillbillies and then just turn right around. And do something crazy like swap Ethier and Carl Crawford and somehow get Carlos Gonzalez and like uh, Jorge De La Rosa. And those will be solid. That'll be a solid move that they would make, you know. So. Right. And they, they'd be able to do that because they also take on the $50 million that the Rockies secretly owe Mike Hampton. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is this a theory of yours or is this something that's out there in the ether that I'm not aware of? It's, it's a theory I just came up with right now to justify that trade, but I think it's pretty airtight. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I could see, you know, Carl for Carl Crawford, that would be a change of scenery. And if the Dodgers are basically paying all most of that contract, uh, I think it even goes longer than what Ethier has left. Although, and they have to trade Ethier soon. He's going to be a ten and five guy very soon. I think in eight, in early April. So, and and both of those guys might play all right in Colorado. I don't know. Um, and obviously, the Dodgers would include some prospects in this deal as well, but. Uh, it seems like they're trying to stopgap the back of, end of their rotation. So uh, I'm not totally, you know, if they have, they're going to have McCarthy maybe come back last half of the year. But Iwakuma, I, I, beyond that, I could just say that I feel like trades are there. That's what their next move is going to be is is some sort of trade, which may not even be a big trade. It might be big in quantity, but it's not going to, they're not going to trade for, Oh, they're not going to tra- <laughs> they're they're not going to trade for some big guy that we that another team is just giving up on. So, yeah, I, I agree. They're, it's hard. I think they're going to make a trade. I don't know if he's going to be a big star. Um, I think they just need to get a guy who's pretty good. Yeah, uh, I don't. You know, someone like James Shields. I even feel like that's that might be the the price to get him. It wouldn't even necessarily be that. And then outside of that, Jose Fernandez and Felix Hernandez are like the only two ridiculous things I could see them even wanting to pursue if they were going to go big. And I feel like those are both impossibilities. I know the Marlins are crazy enough to do anything, um, but it just feels like they're going to 
I just don't I don't feel feel like they could bring themselves to do that. That would actually be one bit of malpractice for not when they've signed bonds and all this other stuff. It feels like they're going to just keep it together maybe in May when they've when they're only when they only won 13 games in April, maybe then they'll blow it up. So Yeah. Uh, so that's the first question. Uh, do you have any questions? I can just keep reading the ones I have. Um, I mean, I think we got the same ones. Okay, cool. So I, okay. I, let's go with uh, the next one up, which is David XF's question at San Diego Giants. He said, uh, the Giants offseason has been good. What's the one move that would screw it all up? He goes with trading for Papelbon. Uh, that would be up. That would probably be, yeah, I would... <laughs> That would be pretty big if they traded for Papelbon. He, by the way, uh, the Giants are on Papelbon's no trade list. If you needed another reason to dislike him, so um, <laughs> that would probably be up there. I would, I would have said that getting Lackey would have been if they had signed yeah. Lackey when that rumor was floating around. Uh, what yeah, that would have been a bad one. But so let's say let's discount the Papelbon thing because that's very unlikely to happen. What would be the move that they get? I feel like. That could ruin the offseason. If they signed, re-signed Lincecum, this is mine. If they re-signed Lincecum and it prevented them from getting a left fielder, which seems absurd, but that, would be, that would be the move for me. That's, that is a good one. Um, oof. And I don't, the only way we would know that it would be if when they sign Lincecum like a month later or two months later and like, or in spring training when Williamson looks terrible, you know, Park, <laughs> Parker can't hit, you know, anything over 92 and anything that moves side to side and <laughs> Blanco's hurt and Pagan's hurt. And they're like, why didn't you work on the outfield? And they said, well, we were already at the max of our budget. And then when you figure that we added depth in the park, we added depth in, and then they name players, and one of those is Lincecum. Then I would be very upset. <laughs> okay, so my answer is going to be similar to yours, except the player is going to be different. Okay. Because for me, the player is going to be Matt Latos. <laughs> That's bad. If they signed Matt Latos for depth, I would have... <laughs> well, hold on. Yeah. If they signed him for depth and not Doug Fister, I would be very mad. <laughs> right. Yes. All right. Matt Latos for depth, which means Matt Latos at any price. Uh, that would yeah, be exactly. bad. That would be bad. All right. I'm in agreement with that. Um, okay. And then this will be the last question. We might have got more, but this is the last question. Um, and then this is from our own Roger Munter at Raj ROG 61. He asks, in an alternate and more just universe, who is the greatest Hall of Fame giant outfielder? Carlos Valderrama or Dante Powell? <laughs> well, first, the response to this tweet, I believe uh, Grant jumped right on it. And he said, it's Calvin Murray. Come on. <laughs> uh, I My answer is Dante Powell. Dante Powell was supposed to be like the next Eric Davis, uh, the non-injured Eric Davis. Um, I'm going to say Valderrama just because he was supposed to be really fun to watch, you know, fly around the bases. He was supposed to have that kind of talent. And then there was, there wasn't even nothing. It it was like he didn't even exist. Yeah, right. He had a worse career than Wilmer Valderrama. And that's, <laughs> that's, uh, 
it's hard to do, really. <laughs> Wilmer Valderrama just shows up. That's really all. That's the that's the ceiling of his talent. And Carlos Valderrama couldn't even do that. Uh, yeah, that is, and he was a quicker burnout. I feel like than Dante Powell. I feel like I forgot about Valderrama way faster than Powell. Um, yeah, Dante Powell was around for a little while. Valderrama had like a cup of coffee one yeah. year. Yeah, I think Dante Powell had like uh, like a, a a venti cup of coffee, and and uh, yeah. and Carlos Valderrama was like. Uh, was he was just the the tiny one? What's the small one? I don't even get smalls. So I mean, he well, Carlos Valderrama like took a sip of someone else's coffee. <laughs> so they got, that's right. They they, they, they they hit him. They hit him so hard for doing that. He they knocked him right out of the major yeah. league. <laughs> so you can always send us questions uh, about anything. Really, you could ask us uh, any question. And uh, yesterday, the big Twitter thing was. You know, olives, good or bad? Well, obviously, olives are bad, but you could have sent us a question and asked us about that. Um, um, I think it's obvious that olives are good, for the record. It's okay that you like olives, by the way. I don't actually get that upset about things that people like that I don't like, but olives to me are just salty grossness. So, uh, yeah, that's that's basically it. But that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. We agree that avocados are great, though, right? Oh, man. Oh, yeah, avocado. <laughs> okay. I thought you were hesitating because you were like, I have to break it to him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, that leads us into now our, our final game of the week. But I'll give a little preface. Today is essentially Star Wars Day across the country. Uh, it's the release of Star, Star Wars The Force Awakens. And just a little bit about me. Another crazy thing is I don't really like Star Wars. It's okay. <laughs> it's all right. I don't love it. Uh, I came to it late. I didn't watch it until they uh, released, re-released them, remastered them in THX on VHS. And then you could buy them all at once. Do you remember that? That black box? I do. I had yeah. those. Yeah. I had those VHSs. I might still have them somewhere. And so that was when I watched, that was the first time I ever watched them. And I liked them a lot. I, I loved Empire Strikes Back. That's my favorite one. But the first one's great. I you know, the first one I'm I I'm already aware of the story, but every time I watch the trench run at the end, I still get nervous and sweaty palms. It's really well done. The second one's great. And Return of the Jedi's whatever. <laughs> so, uh and then the uh the the uh the prequels, I just remember that I got sick in line waiting for the midnight screening of The Phantom Menace, and it was not worth it because it ruined my prom. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, since I already saw, I saw The Force Awakens last night, it was fine. It was J.J. Abrams. It was J.J. Abrams, you know, remaking Star Trek 2009. Really, that's what it was. Okay. <laughs> Mixed in yep. uh, the, with The New Hope. So Yeah, that's fine. Um, no, I, I always liked Star Wars, you know, I, I also watched those videotapes, but they, I'd watch, watch the movies on cable before that. Oh. I like Return of the Jedi a lot. I think it's a good movie. I think that it has flaws, but the, the, you know, how the, the climax has three different kinds of action all going on at once. I'm really, I'm really into that. Yeah. I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, and the prequels were garbage. The, the, <laughs> the only thing that was impressive about the prequels was Ewan McGregor maintaining his dignity, which I think think proves he's the greatest actor in the history of the world well really the only one who comes out of that series unscathed by box office is liam neeson 
Right. And that movie might have helped move him from like kind of, you know, like not action dramatic actor. He was a dramatic actor, but not known for action. That set right. him on the course for Taken. So, yeah. Uh, whereas Ewan McGregor, I think, has just fallen into an indie hole. A good one. He's still a great actor, obviously. And Natalie Portman, kind of the same thing. Uh, she's been in stuff, but, you know, she doesn't quite have... They didn't all become stars, essentially. And it's amazing to think that Harrison Ford was already pretty... If you track his career, you know, from Empire Strikes Back, like, his first four or five movies of the 80s were all these huge hits. So, <laughs> uh, from Star Wars on, the guy was just in hits for, like, a 15-year period. Yeah. Um, and so that leads us into our game. All right. But we both like Star Trek more or just me? I'm the only one who likes No, it. I like Star Trek more. I like Star Trek more too. All right. So that leads into our game. This week's game is going to be uh, which giant or uh, what is it? You pitch it. <laughs> uh, it's which Star Wars character is he? Yes. Where we take a, a guy on the Giants this year and then the other guy says which Star Wars character he most resembles. You are so much better at, at uh, announcing. I think you should do the you should do all the setups now. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, I'll go first with the player then. Uh, Jeff Smarja. He's on the Giants in 2016. He is. Um, I'm going to say for Jeff Smarja, Lando. Lando because because you're not quite sure what you're going to get from him. <laughs> he could be good. He could be bad. Neither of those would be out of out of the realm of possibility at any point whatsoever. Also, if that's the case, he's Lando Calrissian and he doesn't perform well. We have the opportunity to say this deal is getting worse all the time or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever the line is. This deal just keeps getting worse. Yes. This deal just keeps getting worse. There we yeah. go. All right. Uh, all right. Who you got for me? All right. I'm going to give you Johnny Cueto. Hmm. I think Johnny Cueto is R2-D2. Okay. He's I like it. He's cool. We may not understand what he's saying most of the time, not because of a language thing, but because he seems like he has a certain uh, swagger to him that he does things that we don't immediately understand. Maybe kind of in the Juan Uribe way, or maybe kind of in just the random baseball player way. Also, R2-D2 is really cool, and every time you go to him, they cut to him, you feel good, and it feels like Cueto has that potential, like if they just show him on the dugout railing or after the game or whatever. And yeah, you're looking forward to his starts, essentially. That could all sour, of course, and he could just get shocked, like when R2 plugs his, his thing in the wrong port. That It could just blow out, but you never know. R2-D2. I like it. I like that. That's a good call. <laughs> Ron Wotus. Oh, Ron Wotus. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm going to say... Hold on, I need a minute to think about this one. <laughs> because Ron Wotus like, has been there from the beginning, and he never leaves. <laughs> so. That's a good point. So he is um, a part of the entire saga. So he could. <laughs> yeah. So that's, you know, that is tough to, to come up with a comp for that. I would say then that Ron Wotus is such an integral part 
that sometimes you maybe forget he's there, but he always is, and he's always really important. You know, sometimes he has his moment in the spotlight. So I would say he's just the Starship Enterprise. He's <laughs> the Enterprise. Okay. He's the Enterprise. He's the inter- right. We need the Enterprise always. All right. Yeah. Uh, I would have also accepted the opening scroll. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Or the Force. He could. Also- or the Force. Or the Force. Yeah. <laughs> All sorts of things Ron Wotus could be. Yes. All right. Um. So how about? Strength and conditioning coach. No, I can't do it. <laughs> well, of course, what about the face of the franchise? Larry Bear. <laughs> yeah, Larry Bear. Who do you think Larry Bear is? So the I feel like the obvious answer is he's Emperor Palpatine, but that's that's ridiculous. Larry Bear, I feel like. He loves the Giants. He's he's great. I would say that Larry Bear is Larry Bear is Admiral Akbar. Oh, you think he's good at spotting traps? I think so. I feel like he's good at spotting traps. I feel like the, the, the I feel like also he's a he's a great authority, right? He can lead he can lead an entire an entire battle fleet. And in the two big battles, the two big engagements we saw him in, they didn't lose. <laughs> That's true. So he has his men prepared, and he's he's or excuse me, he has his force prepared and he's, you know, he's on top of things. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go with Admiral Ackbar. Okay. All right, um, Buster Posey. Well, obviously Buster Posey, you know, with his cool leadership, the way he's just the best human being in the galaxy, he's obviously Captain Picard. Uh, obviously Captain Picard. Can we just talk about Captain Picard's place in Star Wars uh, history and how important he is to that in, to the entire concept of it. Like you wouldn't, I mean, you can't have Star Wars without Captain Picard. That's right. Uh, I mean, for for one thing, he brought he brings civility and culture to really what's a pretty ghastly va- uh, galaxy if you look at it. Uh, you know, Moss Eisley Cantina is not the only place uh, a den of iniquity with uh, with with scum a hive of scum and villainy is not just Mos Eisley it's the rest of the galaxy you got Captain Picard on the Starship Enterprise going around drinking his tea negotiating deals you know he is a, a renaissance man and he's reviving an entire galaxy and I'm really glad that JJ kept that in mind for Force Awakens yeah um, I think that having Captain Picard in Star Wars is important because otherwise you just have you know the Wild West of yeah. Tatooine. Yeah. And so you need the the civilizing force that he is to contrast with that. So you really have the choice between two different ethoses. Right, right. And you need uh you need a good captain who's like a good person uh in charge of the coolest and best ship in the fleet or on, yeah. in the movie, the Starship Enterprise, so that the people who are uh, who think the Millennium Falcon's the best, don't get too mad. Because, like, if Captain Picard was a jerk about it, that would really make people mad, knowing that they were fans of of the second best ship in the entire galaxy. So, it's good that it's Picard. He, it's a good, it's good, it's like Buster Posey. The Giants are so good. If it was anyone other than Buster Posey as, like, the player's face of them, people might hate the, like, the players might actually hate the Giants. That's just yeah. not the case. Except for Jonathan Papelbon, who who is terrible. So <laughs> he's just the worst person. Yeah. 
I think Jonathan Papelbon is not the Death Star, but the the laser that destroys the Death Star. <laughs> oh, the, the laser that destroys the planet? He, the laser that destroys the planet. He is the laser yeah. that destroys the planet. Yes. That, that's solid. He's also like not that important. But there are people, but there are people mostly in Boston, but there are people who think he's cool. So he could be Boba Fett. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, he doesn't matter at all, but people won't stop talking about him. Yeah. And you're like, he's, hey. he's the doctor who of baseball. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Uh, I would say that actually Pete Rose discussions are the doctor who of baseball, <laughs> which we're not touching on folks because who cares? Years. Yes. yes. Um, oh, you got any more for me? All right, I think last one, uh, Matt Cain. Matt Cain, oh man. Uh, Matt Cain is, uh, he's clearly Commander Riker. All right. People like him, I don't know why. (laughs) He's got good things, and we're hoping that the next time we see him, he does something cool and interesting, and not something dumb like just shave his beard. We're hoping, you know, if... If Commander Riker is Jonathan Frakes, we're hoping that 2016 is more first contact than Star Trek Insurrection. So, okay, that's uh, fair. That's yeah. Um, I also would have accepted the Ewok Wicket because you don't necessarily want bad things to happen to him, but you also don't want him to be there. <laughs> or you know, but he could also just wind up being for. We what we think of him, we just said what we think of him. But what he could wind up being is Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker, for all we know. <laughs> Absolutely, entirely possible. Just completely inseparable, and that's something we can talk about on the next podcast or somewhere down the line. But the the fall of Matt Kane, all health and perform, you know, all performance related to his health, it's just it's it's sad. It kind of bums me out. So, um, so. I don't want to talk about any more sad things. Uh, we talked about Star Star Trek and Star Wars and the Giants signing Johnny Cueto. It's been a great week in Giants baseball. Let's just embrace that. <laughs> so thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. And uh, looking ahead, the Giants will have signed Justin Upton. Um, and Grant will have uh, his own TV show. And Doug will be a light of pure energy, uh, being a pure energy, I think. I don't know. Something will happen cool next week, and we'll be here to talk about it. So thanks again for listening. I'm Brian Murphy, at Every Sixth Day on Twitter. I'm Doug Brizzoni, at Moonwalk McFly on Twitter. And we are also now on iTunes, if you didn't know, and we're on Blog Talk Radio. Both McCovey Croncast is your search. Uh, we're also blogtalkradio.com forward slash McCovey Chronicles. See you next week. Bye.